Hello and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. I'm Nathan Cole. And I'm Akiko Taramoto. This episode is all about learning music, learning the week's music for the symphony, for the Philharmonic. What do you say we uh, actually open this one right with a bang, right with a story from a recent rehearsal? Right. I have no idea what you're going to say. And this actually, the this started with, we were mid-rehearsal with uh, a guest conductor, Michael Tilson Thomas, MTT in the, the lingo, and... Um, all of a sudden, one of our string colleagues just jumped up, like, jumped up from his seat and kind of ran off the stage. And yeah, the way he jumped up, it seemed like there was some emergency, like he'd been stung by a bee or I something. Think, I think the verb is stormed off the stage. Okay. Ju- jumped and stormed. Really looked like something had happened. And so, um, you know, most of the time people are coming and going from the stage. I mean, brass players may get up and leave in the middle of a movement if they're not involved in the rest of the movement or someone forgets their pencil or something, they may find a moment to walk off the stage and get it. But th- this looked dramatic enough that MTT just stopped and uh, looked a little bewildered and gave one of his smiles, you know, what, what what's going on friends? And, uh, you know, someone said, Oh, no music. And so that, that was the explanation for the missing colleague. And, um, so while, while he was gone, do you remember he said, okay, quick, quick, everyone, while he's gone with me, Don Juan, just everybody play, play Don Juan Wait, with I my to, downbeat. I, I feel like your story's missing a couple elements. Oh, really? Well, okay. First of all, what were we playing? Well, I I can't remember. But the point was that it was something totally different. No, the thing that we were playing. Yeah, was it was something, something very. Uh, why can't I remember? It was something really standard. So that's why he was like. Oh, know, was it? Um, it could have been a Tchaikovsky symphony. Was it Romeo and Juliet? No. Well, we did a couple meat and potatoes Tchaikovsky's with him. Those right. Weeks. And so it was something like that, that we've played a lot. He, he looked, MTT looked genuinely astonished because he said, you still, you still need music. I mean, you know, and it was kind of funny. So of course we still need music. So he was, he was joking. Right. Then, I mean, nobody's really going to play a rehearsal without music. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's probably someone who's extremely adept at making points. So he just, he told us all we should, he said, just, just play Don Juan right now. He gave the downbeat and, and we did. <laughs> the whole orchestra played and I think we went on, well, we went on as long as it took for our uh, friend to come back to stage and, uh, so yeah, when he did, it must have seemed like he was in a time warp or something because we'd probably played a good minute of Don Juan, obviously all without music. And um, I'm not sure what that proved, but actually the thing it proved to me was how extraordinary it is that we're playing this hundred year old piece, everybody playing it without music. Because I'm sure when Strauss wrote it, he, uh, I'm sure he just hoped it would get a second performance, not that in a hundred years, everyone would have every detail of the first page memorized. That's true. Although, <clears throat> I mean, to be fair, I'm not sure from our perspective, it felt like everybody <laughs> was playing it. Probably some instruments more than others. I'm sure like three out of the four string sections. Well, the violins all knew the first page. That's for sure. 
Well, the first violins. I heard some grumbling in the seconds. Oh, right. <laughs> How are we supposed to know the second violin part yeah, of this? <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me of a friend I had that had played second violin in a professional string quartet for, for years. And <laughs> I remember I remember asking him, wow, that, that must be amazing. So you, you just know the second violin part to everything now. I mean, all those inner inner workings and I was like, yeah, I, for example, I'm trying to remember, I think I asked him, you know, how Opus 59, number three, Beethoven, how does that start in the second violin? And he said, uh, I don't know. So I still just know the first violin parts. <laughs> that's, that's so sad. Well, uh, that brings us to this week, uh, this week we just had where we played the Messe and Tarangalila Symphony. How long did that end up being? 90 minutes? I thought it was minutes? 100, but... A big, big piece with 10 movements and um, a lot of pages in that book. And, you know, I know we were... I think it was maybe around 68. <laughs> around something like 68 Something, you know, pages. could have been anything. But <laughs> <laughs> that number 68 sticks in your head. That's yeah. a big book, although not, not yet an opera book. A lot of notes and, you know, if you're really going to play the part and depending on where you're sitting lead that music you need to have a strategy for how to get it in your head how to get it in your fingers and that's what this is all about and i think we have you know really different experiences and uh and strategies because of that i mean you and i being different from each other yeah but in the end it comes down to risk aversion um loss versus gain priorities a lot of fancy sounding concepts which all boil down to the fact that if you were really going to keep up with every detail of every piece, especially in some of those first violin parts, um, you might have to spend more hours in the day than you've got to really polish every note every week. So we have to rely on past experience and prioritize the things that are really important and sometimes just play a little catch up. But if the piece is going to sound as good as it can sound, somehow we have to get those notes learned. There have definitely been a few times where after a concert, I wish I had a paper bag to put over my head. <laughs> or, yeah, a broom to sweep up all the notes that, yeah. that you dropped. Well, that's if I'm feeling in a humorous mood about it. But we had a time just this, yeah, this past week where that paper bag would have been a welcome addition to the end of the concert. Well. Or the, or the whole concert. <laughs> so you say. I mean, but you also said, it's strange, you were sitting right like shoulder to shoulder with the piano soloist's page turner mm -hmm. right and that that's weird to sit no, it didn't really bother me she wasn't, you know no not she was kind of actually right between us so it wasn't as if i was like well but you did mention it, it was strange well, I mean, that you were playing right when i was into... not to give too much of my incompetence away on the airwaves here but you know i was like some passage where i was not feeling good about myself at all and i, I think i was making some noises that were definitely not related enough to what was actually on the page <laughs> and that you know suddenly right before the concert we'd been talking and suddenly came back in my head that she she said that she turned pages for this several times it's this piece and i thought dear god she's she she knows it really well she can probably tell that i'm treating my fingerboard like a ski slope right now <laughs> but, you know that, that flashed through my mind but then. it wasn't like i was like you know extra self-conscious just because she was there because you know so she, we're already getting into the downsides. Do what what happens if we feel like we don't learn the parts well enough? 
Oh, well, I mean, everybody knows what the downsides are to that. You don't need a podcast. <laughs> that sticky feeling in the back of your neck. Yeah. Um, the burning shame at the end. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about how we can avoid that, how we can not do that. Since it just happened to me, I'm not sure I'm the one to, to give advice on the, after 18 years of doing this. Well, you're, you're especially hard on yourself, I think, but, um, well, what's, I mean, let's talk about a standard week of music and let, let's say for most of this episode, we're going to be talking about pieces that we have not played before. So they may be pieces that other people have played. So they don't have to be world premieres or something, but let's say we're confronted with, you know, pieces that are new to us. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at a standard orchestra week and, you know, this season in LA, we haven't had that many of those, but, um, usually there'd be one big piece for the second half. Right. And there'd often be, you'd often accompany a soloist and a concerto and, then there might be one or two shorter pieces. I mean, that's been the the standard concert program for a long time and, you know, count on somewhere between two and five pieces in a program. Five. Yikes. Well, yeah, they'd better be short if they're going to be five. Um, let's talk about how far in advance we start practicing these parts. And that would depend really on how many pieces are new to us in a week. I would guess. I mean, that's how it is for me. Yeah. Probably depends how much is going on. Yeah. I mean, how much is going on outside work yeah. too? Because you could, you could start four weeks in advance knowing that you've only got little pockets of time here and there, or you could just do it the week before knowing that you've got a couple really uh, freer days where you could devote more time to it. Yeah. And I've done the, the thing where, you know, you, weeks in advance, you take all the music home, you've got it, and you're trying to sort of absorb it more organically and like, you know, small, constant doses. And that's tough. I don't know. I, 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 I feel like context means so much and not, not, this may just sound like an excuse for last minute cramming or not preparing at all, but somehow like you, you can prepare all you want, but when you get there, it's going to seem a lot of things seem harder on the page than they will in context. So not like you're going to be wasting time. You're, you're never wasting time at practicing, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind working on something that would help my technique more directly, like thirds or like a solo piece or something than, than toil on, on a orchestral work only to get there and, and say, Oh, well that you can barely hear that actually. Or, I know that's the worst when you spend all that time and <laughs> you've got a whole brass or percussion section yeah. covering it anyway. And you know, you listen to the recording to try to minimize that sort of thing. But, um, but even then you can't necessarily tell it depends how they mic it. It depends what the balances are like. So, well, so I mean, let's talk about how, how do you know that? Um, how can you know that whether something's really going to matter? I mean, if, if we've got a folder of first violin parts, how do you open it up and, and know which parts you have to practice? Um, well, there's the obvious. I mean, you start looking for, and this, <laughs> this actually this is a terrible strategy because it backfires in pieces such as Sibelius, which <laughs> Sibelius, who was fond of using large note values for great 
fast as scarzos. Oh, <laughs> you like mean a, you can see a page like of a quarter scherzo, notes? Like, yeah, it's in three, four, but so you're like, whoa, these are quarter notes. So yeah, that that doesn't really work. But I have done. I do do that. I look for you know lots of black marks on the page. Sixteenth, thirty seconds. Big pages of black notes. Yeah, although, you know, I've, you know, over the years, and I'm sure we all know this, but if it's, if it's marked forte fortissimo, you know, sure, you probably got to look at it, but it's the scariest stuff is probably is, you know, exposed. And so it's probably actually marked piano or pianissimo or something. And sometimes I think those pianissimo super high passages are, they're the worst because everyone's probably just the first violins or something playing by themselves. And, and suddenly it's like, you know, all screechy. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so, yeah. I, I well, would say, yeah, anything that's marked double 14, so you can sort of take with a grain of salt. You go, well, probably won't be able to hear that too well. <laughs> if you can, you just sort of, you know, bow pressure will take care of some of the details. <laughs> well, that's ironic, right? You know, the really loud stuff you figure nobody's going to hear that well. The really quiet yeah. stuff, yeah, often well, yeah. super exposed. Well, I mean... I'm not sure if that, if all that answers the question of how far in advance you need to start looking. Oh, did we get off topic? But Sorry. No, I mean, it's all, it's all part of the same topic. I'm just, I'm wondering. I guess I, mean, I don't, you know, I don't look super far in advance now, unless it's like I've got a huge pocket of time that I'm not going to have, like, and it's something I know is going to be a real bear. Right. And, you know, and we're talking about about orchestra stuff sometimes i mean if it's like uh you know chamber stuff obviously it's different and um because well, every note is going to be heard yeah chamber is a completely different story I assume we're not really talking about that or you know we just played this green umbrella concert last week that was an unconducted quintet and so that required more forethought for sure because we had to you know look at the score writing cues kind of try to come up with a roadmap for how how we were going to deal with it you know the soloist the saxophone player slash composer we weren't seeing her till the day of the concert and so we really needed to have a plan so that's that's a little bit different but yeah i mean there we're marking in cues on a measure by measure basis yeah we need to know where everything is moving since we've got no conductor but luckily and we even weren't. that you know i mean that seems like a foolproof strategy to write in the cues and stuff but you know as i found out after you wrote in my cues for me thank you <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Um, but, you know, you get, you, you play together and, yeah, first of all, saxophone's a loud inter- instrument, so you may not be able to hear some of the cues that you saw on the score. So, you know, everybody knows visually it's not going to be the same as, as when you hear it. So, you know, sometimes you just have to wait till you're in the presence of all the people involved and, and see what, what your ear catches, because everybody's ear is different too. You know, I latch onto different things and so I, I just have different things that I, that I use as, as markers for when I need to come in or when I'm counting or. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite is when I put in a cue, like, Ooh, this looks like a big, this is a big, uh, viola downbeat here. So I'm going to mark that in. And then we get there in rehearsal and the viola says, okay, d- uh, don't count on me here because I, you know, I'm listening for you there to know when to play. I just have to erase my viola cue and <laughs> come yeah. up with something different. Yeah. So yeah, it's tricky with the cues. I, I, I do feel like, yeah, the most useful thing is to to play it first and then see. Maybe that's from years of playing in orchestra. Maybe I just absolutely need to see what the topography is going to be like in person. Well, and that's a great 
point. That'd be a horrible conductor, obviously. It's like, <laughs> oh, you can decipher much reading. visually. <laughs> well, that's, but that's a skill that you, you have to practice. Well, I'm looking forward to having our first conductor guest on, on the show, um, to, to hear about some of this. Yeah, I would say I'm like you. I, I don't look as far in advance as I did when I was just beginning in professional orchestras because back then every piece was new. So maybe that's the real message. I mean, the the more music that is new to you, the further in advance you have to start looking. Otherwise, you're going to get underwater pretty quickly. You know, this business of knowing what is going to be important and what's not, there's a different strategy if it's a world premiere like we were just talking about with this uh, string quintet and saxophone piece, as opposed to a piece that's just new to us, but you can easily go find recordings. You could talk to colleagues. How do you handle that? Just new to us. So, you know, we've got a, a symphony coming up and somehow... But, oh, but it's, not a, it's not a brand new work. No, it's just something that you've missed up until now but you know that it's going to have some tough spots. How do you know what those spots are? What, or what, what's your favorite way to figure this out and to know what to practice? I mean, these days I just, you know, if I can hopefully find the time to sit down, listen to the whole thing with the music in front of my, my part in front of me. Yeah. Recording. Yeah. You know, it's a luxury to have a recording to be able to hear, but you know, these days they're, it's basically impossible not to be able to find something unless yeah. I mean, there's certain pieces sure that are, just aren't really out there in the recording world. And, you know, LA certainly does a lot of stuff that, that isn't standard, but you, since you're talking about something that's probably, you know, it's been in circulation for a little bit and those pieces are definitely, you know, probably on YouTube and you can follow along with your part and, um, and hopefully get a sense for, you know, tempos and, and, dynamics what's gonna you know what's exposed what's gonna really matter yeah i mean i, I did this with the uh, messe and the taranga lila um and i think you did too well, you did right? what well listen to it really i don't remember you did when well you know when i was in the car by myself huh so you don't have your part in front of you though no like, to me i have to have the part in front of me otherwise it just doesn't really i mean it helps if i have the part but if i suddenly hear some violin thing like yeah i better yeah, I guess the, to I guess what the Messian had its fair like. share of things that were just like giant red exclamation points all over them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it wasn't real subtle that way. But I mean, it, I think, you know, not to like start waxing your car, but as I think, you know, I and other people who know you are always s astonished at how little you have to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying that yeah i mean it's just you you have a, an amazing knack for reading and you also have an amazing knack for absorbing things in like record time so i think you're trying you're trying not to say the f word fake no you don't fake and that's uh, you know it's very obvious because like you know i sat right behind you for the message was that was perfect you couldn't hear anything i was doing no and then you know well, i don't fake rhythms i'll say that <laughs> Well, and, you know, our job is all about playing the right place, and it's less about playing the right notes. I mean, obviously, the most important thing is to play in the right place, even if it's not exactly the right notes. So. Yeah, it's funny, and I wouldn't have known that before I joined a <laughs> hey, professional we, orchestra. Not to give too much away, but I, st I know people who still don't really know that. They've been in professional orchestras, or are. <clears throat> yeah. 
but and, um, you know, bonus if you play the right notes too and i mean all joking aside yeah it is a bonus but it's just it's it is not worth a cent to anybody if it comes you know late or early or, right you know i don't care how right it is <laughs> just you cannot can't do that but um so yeah i mean i was sat behind you and i i was actually sitting there thinking oh maybe he told me he played this before and then i asked you and you said no and then i don't know of all things this piece was this was a, a bad week because i felt as if and it was you know i thought maybe this piece is just like it's too hard or something i was having a really tough time with it it was just so long that i think that you know it was only so long you could sort of keep your brain just kind of rolling the punches before you just feel like you're being you know <laughs> dragged under yeah. by the you know, you're just yeah. like that you know, I'm, I'm done i was gonna say up against the ropes but yeah yeah just, i'm just mixing my bars <laughs> here yeah i just i felt like i just went went down and never came back well also it's di- i mean one of the things that surprised me or still surprises me sometimes practicing orchestra parts is well, what seems like a subtle difference in control between, you know, practicing my part in the practice room versus being directed by someone else on stage in the orchestra is a completely different ballgame. I mean, if you're only used to practicing solo pieces and, and basically choosing your own tempi and choosing your own dynamic and phrasing... I mean, there's a comfort level there you can plan on so much. Whereas, you know, like in this Messan, for example, there there were many, many places where you'd be playing something very slow and then all of a sudden the tempo switches to really fast. And when you're not the one choosing that fast tempo, it, it really just throws everything. And those first few bars have to be, they basically have to be memorized so that you can be looking up. But all they, they yeah, just have you, to be you know, automatic. You're, you're always first stand in this in this case you were concert master, so it's like even more I mean that's even more amazing too. It's like like I talked about, you can't be pretty sure or mostly sure. <laughs> like you have to be really sure. And um you know, that's that's like a level level of pressure that I'm not necessarily comfortable with that I think it's like it's very natural for you. So Well, I mean you you do it when you have to. Mm. I just, I have to do it more often these days. Yeah. I mean, to do it for a program last, like last week is impressive. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, it was a challenge. And we also, we played in two different halls, which is weird. I mean, we play almost all our concerts at Disney, but we played one in a run out to Costa Mesa. And without a rehearsal in the new hall, that changes things. Too, but at least it was the last concert of the series so it was well and that's the other thing so like a piece like like the mess and pieces like it um yeah i mean after the after the friday concert i was like wow i i felt very humbled that was the first concert yeah not un- honored for it just humbled <laughs> humbled and horrified <laughs> not a humble brag uh not a humble brag yeah um but then the next night you know i i took care to look at a few things that had gotten away from me the night before. And then, then it was felt much better. And then by the third time it was like, yeah, it was like, I know this one, you know, it was like, I felt like, Hey, yeah, I know Tarangalila now. And like, just, you know, 48 hours before, not even, I'd been like, ah, you know, crying in my soup. 
<laughs> but, um, you know, it's so a piece like that. It's like, it's super tough when you don't know it. And once you know it, it's fine. And that sounds obvious, but there are pieces. I think most of the pieces we do don't fall in that category. Like, or most of the standard repertoire that we've done doesn't fall in that category. So like Brahms symphonies, um, you're sure that a lot of them are comfortable because we've learned them for auditions or we've played them a lot, but somehow, you know, a lot of them, we've, the pieces like that, you play them over and over and they're, they're just hard and they're always hard because it's not, you know, not to reduce the mess and to either you get this or you don't, but once you learn it, it's there. Whereas Brahms isn't about learning it. Like there's, there's so much that goes into it and like, you know, that the subtleties of playing your instrument really come into play and, and, things that you may not feel good about in that very moment when you're, you're when you're playing a tricky passage or a difficult shift and then you don't get it and that then I know that's tough in a totally different way. There are not that many places in the messe and for example where it's just a first violin tune, you know, with a lot of contours for very long. I mean it's you know, the audience is looking and listening here, then there, then there. I mean that sixth movement is you know, it's beautiful and it's it's very, very long lines. So I don't mean to reduce it to like, just like a bunch of, you know, ducks in a row that you're just, <laughs> just trying to hit, but it does, it has more of that element to it. I think that once you, once you've got your mental sort of rubric in place, you can just, just sort of nail things down if you, so if you know it. What you're saying is the next time we, next time this is programmed, watch out. We're, we're going to be firing on all cylinders. <laughs> well, Yeah. No, I, I agree, though. I, I, there are certain pieces where the difference between one performance and having had one performance under your belt or zero is is just that's the whole thing right there, that experience. Yeah, maybe what I'm trying to say is the unexpected is such a big element in pieces like that. And once you take that away, then you feel fine. But in a piece, yeah, like Brahms or um, yeah, some of the really difficult standard stuff we do, you know, stuff that still gives me cold sweats, like like the Scherzo from Bruckner 9 or, or the end of Mahler 9. It's like those things are always, always going to be hard and that has, because it has nothing to do with being unexpected. It's just hard and it's hard to to blend with your colleagues and to, to play, you know, a pretty difficult passage beautifully, you know, you know, in a way that produces the best sound from your instrument. And from, you know, that all those things are considerations that are, are nice to, to, to have to have. But that's what makes it hard to play our instruments. Yeah, it's not all damage control. <laughs> Ideally, yeah. it should be. You know, in the end, it was kind of... Andro- I mean, I, and I like the mess, and I'm not saying it's just just that. But um, it, I, I was, at the end, I was, you know, yeah, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> like knocking down the passages one by one as we were, were playing, and we are like, mm, got that. Yeah, yeah it, did, it felt like the biathlon or <laughs> decathlon, what do they call it? Where the biathlon is the one where you're skiing and shooting at the same time, right? <laughs> Something like that. It felt or like no, that. not at the same time. You ski and then right, you... and then you do the. Okay, yeah. For a while, I right. Think I and thought if you don't get all your shots, time. you have to like do another lap or something. Right. The decathlon is a track and field one with the ten right, different. Sorry. Just, Are you thinking more like that? They have athlon in them, so. <laughs> I was thinking of the skiing and shooting, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, something about it seemed like target practice. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like that actually. <laughs> Skiing for a while on some slow passage, and then, well, let's think now about pieces that 
you've played before and let's say major pieces so there's you've got a thick book to look at you've got to bring a piece back what do you look at when you're flipping through the book um i mean when i was thinking about this a little earlier you know yeah the aforementioned pages of black dots i mean you're you're talking about a piece that you've played before yeah Uh, but like a major piece oh give me an example like um well like we're we're playing also sprock zarathustra by strauss coming up pretty soon and that has a lot of pages to it and it's one that we've played many times but not it's not like don juan where you play it well every season you always look for that lots of ledger lines right yeah so high stuff high stuff yeah because like yeah on strauss you know that's gonna be there's gonna be something that's and that can be harder to read right if you don't already know know how it sounds do you ever write the no you never do that i'm always embarrassed when i have to write the write the name of the note next to the ledger oh you know there (laughs) yeah actually i you know occasionally i will because in some of those old parts i mean composers now are instructed not to use very many ledger lines you know they do that oh i mean 8va they always do 8va or even 15va oh yeah remember that oh yeah i had that moment where i was like Trying to find a note that was that I thought was fifteen VA, and Martin turned around, and started laughing, and said, "It's just two octaves up." Oh, right. <laughs> I thought it was like all supposed to be like, yeah, like not quite two octaves up. Yeah, like <laughs> like an octave and a seventh or something. <laughs> that equals fifteen, right? I know. Yeah, it's funny how that, that works actually. <laughs> um, but I mean, in some of those old printings of the parts, there will be just some ungodly number of ledger lines and um you know if you're working your way up to it in a passage then it's obvious what it is but sometimes yeah if a note comes out of the blue and it's just a bunch of ledger lines it can be nice to have a reminder what it is so also yeah i'm I'm very against i don't like 8va first of all oh in general and i and i certainly don't like 15va i'm like i i just we're not trained to read music in that way so you know it doesn't take into account like our relative sense of where notes are so it's like I, that right i mean it's like well for me it's a little bit like trying to read a book on a kindle or something which <laughs> you're a big fan of but I, I feel like i can't like so i need to know like where i am i need that like physical stack of pages to be like oh you're halfway through or like you know i need the ledger lines to be like oh it's about this far up or well i think what it comes down to for us is that we would prefer to read parts like the solo pieces that we learned growing up. I mean, the hard show pieces and concertos that we learned growing up generally didn't use 8VA. If notes were high, they yeah. were written high. I mean, that makes us sound like you know, we're kind of stuck in the past, but I mean, people have to understand we have a certain <clears throat> instinct that we operate on that's really part of what we do. You know, I mean, the reason we've been doing it since we were five is so we could operate on instinct. There's no, no time. Most of the time, there's not enough time to, to think about like where where that note is coming from or you know and right or it's like every so time if you're adding things that sort of throw up um these cognitive little roadblocks where like you've got to think about it and be like oh well oh right it's two octaves above this and i not to keep griping at composers but it's like if there are any of you listening right now just take that into account i mean i know you think we're all a bunch of crybabies and we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to make weird noises and we don't want to you know count we don't want to <laughs> alternative techniques or read like six pages of text before we start playing like i know okay fine but just <laughs> maybe you could just consider taking out the 15 vas 
Yeah, well, there have been some egregious examples, but yeah, generally, well, and that's so that's something, I mean, to get back to what we have to do when we're looking at a piece coming up, I mean, that's one of the things, right, is to look for any markings, anything that just looks weird that we would have to think about in rehearsal or performance. In a new piece? Um, I, I guess that does apply more to new pieces, and I know yeah. I said we were going to talk more about pieces that we've played before right but let, let's just throw everything in. this could be brand new piece or it could be <clears throat> something you've played before but you got to bring back and i was so. you know one of the things i was thinking about with this topic was um you know i do try to if it's a new piece there's no recording or anything because i'm not great with rhythm so i've got to sort of visualize i guess go through what the b patterns might be um what this Sounds like, you know, like a 716, like how's this, you know, that goes by pretty fast, probably. Well, yeah, I do that too. You know, so I'll conduct it a little bit and see if I can't just get the, get a little bit of a groove so that. Yeah, the air conducting, I think that's, <clears throat> that's really helpful. Yeah, because once it happens, you know, like. I you, guess all conducting is air conducting. So, I mean, I, I, you know, you have to conduct a little bit, I think, just to get, you know, that's something we used to do in music school, right? Like we'd, they taught us to conduct and sing rhythms. You know, you never did star, right? Or did you? I, I actually, I did um, when I was a kid, like nine, ten years old. Yeah, I mean, it was something that. But I mean, I think it was used all the way through <clears throat> grad school, even. But yeah, I mean, some of those rhythms, of course, you know, that got really complicated. But you know, that it's it's important to be able to sing and conduct those things, and so that's a skill that you know. I mean, I remember having a solfege teacher who, as Selfish teachers, I guess, can be. She was kind of a stickler and a little bit, little bit mean about <laughs> making yep. us get up and do rhythms, you know, whatever. And um, and she, she, this one woman proudly told us that a student came back after many years and told her that your class was the most important one I ever took at Juilliard. And, and uh, now I'm a selfish teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know. I, yeah, I think there's some truth to, to that. I mean, I think I, you know, I, I'm talking about this now, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it in a while, but sure, like conducting and singing, like, you know, that's something you have to, to do to get through pieces that you don't know. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of those rhythms that we feel are not always correctly played in orchestra, you know, because pieces that people quote unquote know, and they're doing kind Beethoven of a rhythm seven. that's a little bit wrong. <sighs> Beethoven 7, we could have a whole podcast on, you know, the... On the passages that that are we don't feel are being played correctly. The whole general. podcast, the whole forty-five minute episode would just be dun 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 Versus the quiz at the end will be: Can you tell the difference between dun 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 and dun 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 I bet you can. But yes, I mean, you know, if we just went back to solfege, just basic ear training, and and we just did it, and we taught it out with the the beats in our right hand then you know you would it would solve it instantly so okay so not just dense black passages on the page but any any rhythm that might throw up a roadblock well i mean again it depends what we're, we're talking about if it's a if it's a new piece then rhythm is my my number one worry that i'm gonna end up you know because there there are lots of times when i go to a concert just praying that i don't get lost that's that's always a good bar to to clear <laughs> a, a low one but an important one <laughs> <laughs> um what about i find myself i mean especially if i'm going to be concert master for a, a program um or for a piece 
I look at every transition, every tempo transition to figure out how that's going to work. And sometimes you, you can't know, especially if it's a brand new piece, but to guess what the conductor is going to beat, like, yeah, this, this goes from quarter equals 80 to quarter equals 120. This looks like it's likely going to be in two in the new tempo. And so I, I, I actually visualize or like you, you, like you were saying, I'll actually conduct myself what that's going to look like and, and feel like, because if you can get all the transitions, then it's just a matter of filling kind of filling in the blanks in between. Yeah. Sadly, you know, I'm not concert master very often. That's not sad. That's fine. That but, is sad. um, but <laughs> a lot of my preparation involves going to you and asking what's the tricky thing about this. And you know, what's, yeah. So I'm, I'm concert master so infrequently that when I am, I have to think about the whole thing. I have to think about when I walk out, making sure I don't fall. <laughs> <Making sure. laughs> That's number one. <laughs> Well, well you wear uh, more complicated <laughs> shoes than I do. Yeah, I need to wear some uncomplicated shoes. Um, and then I, like, you know, I the little things you don't think about that suddenly will make you look like you don't know what you're doing. Like um, you forget to stand, like you don't know when to stand up and tune. Or I remember one time I had to ask you if you retune the orchestra after the break. I mean, I do it like, you know, you sit there and you're doing it. Somebody else is leading it for you and you just do it instinctively. But then when you're the one that, you know, it's. So I'm like, Nathan, give me a roadmap. So I got to I get together, I tune. And then what? I sit down like, yeah, do I stand up when the, you know, like all those things. I have to get them, you know, straight in my mind so that I'm not like freaking out in the moment. After all that, playing the pieces. Well, honestly, you know, getting through the piece isn't that bad compared to, to that. But then I, you know, a lot of times I'll show you the music and I'll say, okay, so show me where, you know, what might be the, like a problem here. Like what, you know. What what? How do you get out of this? Uh, like like you know, it's scary actually leading um, a concerto. Oh yeah. With a soloist because a lot of times there's a cadenza. Getting out of the cadenza can be can be really tricky, you know. And and like it's like the difference between sitting there, not being concert master, even if you're you know on first stand and and actually going like oh well here's where the <laughs> here's the the big strong entrance. It's you know it's you wish you didn't have to do it and then. You know, so it's, it helps to have you, have you tell me, well, here's what, here's what you're going to have to look out for, for sure. And then I remember when you were away last year, I had to be concert master for, um, I think it was last year, Glenn Hansard. Yeah. Um, Singer, songwriter, and, concert. And I felt like an idiot because if it had been you, you would have just gone in, had, you know, a gallon of coffee, sat down, <laughs> knocked it out, you know. It would have been like a no-brainer, but for me, it was like, okay, sit down, listen to all his albums. Well, again, but those were all brand new. None and of those was, charts had tricky. ever been played. It was tricky because some of them I couldn't actually find recordings for, but I, I was as familiar as I could have been with those songs by the time we sat down to do it. You should have really tossed that knowledge around. You should have sat down and been like... Ah, you know. His... Well, I did kind of because you know David Campbell was conducting, and right. so I. I did have a question. I was like, so this solo is pretty, um, you know, I asked him about if some of the solos that were, you know, they sound a little different than the recording. And um, I said in the recording, this was this way. And he was like, he was very impressed that I'd heard this recording so many times. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was nice. I felt like, you know, hey, I'm prepared. You can't say I'm not prepared no matter what else happens here. But, um, but you know, it is. it takes me just that much more 
preparation and work. I mean, just even, you know, even if I did it a lot, I'm sure it would take me more than you, but doing it so infrequently, it's, you know, that's the kind of work I have to do in advance. Well, let's talk about other, to start wrapping up here, the, uh, we're now really talking about things you look at if you're leading or if you're sitting on first stand, maybe. Um, so we can't forget to mention solos, whereas the, the great Norman Carroll concertmaster of the Philly Orchestra for so many years said always flip through and look for those four letters S-O-L-O and I still there are times uh, and I, I have to admit if it if it's a piece that I'm I'm sure is just really a whole lot of nothing like maybe I bowed it six months before because the library gave it to me and I had this recollection that it was mostly whole notes but then when we sit down for that first rehearsal I think am I absolutely sure that there's nothing in there? And I just flip through it. Yeah. Looking for S-O-L-O. Because even a whole note solo can be terrifying if you're not sure how to get in or out of it. I was, you know, one of the things I wrote down when I was thinking about this was, you know, we're talking about sitting first stand or whatever, but being, if you're in section, like what is it you're looking for when you're, um, when you're preparing your music for the week and, and I was laughing, thinking, you know, I probably used to think, well, where am I sitting? You know, like, like, okay, I'm sitting outside in the back. Well, that's scary. That's a very exposed spot. Oh, because you, you know, can't like, oh, hear. Oh, fifth, fifth stand outside. Yikes. You know. Oh, because fifth stand would often wrap around fifth, to be next no, to the first no, stand. No, no, no. The one, the scary one is all the way in the back corner when you're back by yourself. So maybe four stand outside, but or oh, six, okay. you know, one of those that like. Or yeah. eight, because sometimes eight gets shoved back there. But I loved that. No, no, I hate I f- that. Because like, you know, then you're like right at the edge, especially at Disney Hall. It's like a lot of times you're sitting there, you feel like you're playing by yourself. And if it's something very exposed or new or that can be, you know, like you really have to be on your game. So I think that would be one they'd be like, okay, well, you know, outside eight stand, that's a scary seat to be in. Okay, or, so um, if you know you're sitting there, then that changes the things you would. Yeah, you know, you're, you're especially, you're like, I, I better, I better... This is like football. Yeah, like if you're the blocker for the A gap or something. That's well, look at you. different assignments. Then. And the other thing I was thinking was who you're sitting with. You know, it's like. <laughs> now that, yeah. Uh, now you're really getting, the getting into the details. Yeah. It, <laughs> the, the important stuff. Well, and I'm seriously, I think these are the things people laugh about, you know, because it's like, so you look at the roster, you're like, oh, cool. You know, I'm. I'm with like so-and-so like, oh yeah, that's going to be really fun. We're going to have a good time. You know, you think, well, you feel more relaxed. You sort of feel like we're going to, we're going to riff off each other. It's going to be fine. Or or, right, or, or like if I, if I don't play every note in this double forte passage, they're the kind of person that's going to, they're going to lay it down there. Yeah. Or they're, or <laughs> it was like, oh, they're, they're going to be, they're really cool. They're going to also be sort of like laughing about it or, you know, we're going to have a good time no matter what happens. I think that's, that's. It was always a nice feeling. That's true. And then there are other stand partners where you feel like you just, you really had better learn everything or it's not going to well, be a you good know, time. <laughs> one time we were playing like N- Nielsen, I think like the, the inextinguishable or something. Right. The indistinguishable. <laughs> and I was sitting with Paul and I feel like, it, you know, our, our friend Paul Phillips, who is in the Chicago symphonies, somebody we've always thought just, you know, only the highest things about especially in terms of like his preparation he would never i mean he, he had the he had the music on a stand i would go to his house and it would be like a month away he'd be you know 
looking at something and it wouldn't even be necessarily a new piece of he would just have it and he'd practice it every day right just this work ethic was amazing and so i was sitting next to him for this nielsen piece and i remember just I mean, I, I couldn't tell you the today. I couldn't tell you the first thing about this piece, and you know, the, when I sat down next to him to play it, it was the same thing. I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what these notes are. It was handwritten or something. You know, the handwritten music, as we all know, is it's kind of the worst. Yeah, I mean, it can be like you know, it, it, and you feel like it's not fair. It's like if this were printed properly, <laughs> I could tell that that B is is higher than that G, but because these it was like handwritten wavy ledger lines, like you know, you can't. You, you can't even tell and so you spend a lot of extra time trying to even tell what the relative positions of these notes is so you know Prokofiev a lot of it is handwritten obviously but I think this Nielsen was and I remember being so ashamed of myself sitting next to Paul even though he's a good friend you know I just because I know it was the opposite of how he lives his life how he comes to work and I just thought you know I to this day, I feel like I feel ashamed of how I played that Nielsen <laughs> when that comes back on the schedule you're you're going to have it here on the stand at home. Fortunately, I, I don't really see that being a problem. <laughs> well, any other parting thoughts about uh, what you look for? You're flipping through those those folders for the weeks coming up. Yeah, the solos are the main thing. Yeah. These days, yeah. Um, especially if they're real quiet, and real soft. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that comes back to, you know, the more clearly listeners can hear what you personally are doing, the more invested you have to be in it, the more totally prepared you have to be. You know, and there's different kinds of preparation. There's a knowing the notes and then there's just, yeah, if it's a, if it's a high, soft, tiny solo, it can, it can be the tiniest thing. Yeah, it can be really terrifying. So that's not even a matter of preparation. It's just knowing it's there, I guess. Well, didn't you feel like all those kinds of preparation sort of came together for you in this recent week we had with uh, Zubin Mehta, for example, playing Brahms for, you know, it's music that you really feel in your bones. It's music that you have prepared. You've prepared every measure of that, literally every measure for auditions because the Boston Symphony, for one, used to require, maybe still does, but used to require the complete symphony, first violin part. You know, then you, you warm up with that piece uh, you give your all in rehearsals. I mean, that that's an example of total preparation. That's how I felt. You know, I thought if every piece could be like that, then... And, I mean, and so much of that was, you know, and he he made it feel that way too, right? That Right, that it mattered. It mattered and it's like this somehow this is like what we... This is why we play our instruments. This is why we prepare music. This is, you know, everything about it was like, this is these are the reasons it was... It was great. It was it was a nice feeling, like um, very life validating or career validating or something. Yeah, preparation validating. <laughs> like <laughs> I prepared and it mattered yeah, for for this moment, this one moment. Well, great, and thank you for being with us for this this episode and for all the time you've spent with us. Um, and if there's one thing that you could do for me and Akiko today, if you've got a moment to make sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you get every new episode delivered to you automatically, that would mean a lot to us and it would mean that you get our new episodes as soon as we put them out. Um, so to do that, just go to standpartnersforlife.com and you'll see a link there on 
how to subscribe and you can do it through iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. But as long as you subscribe, then you'll be the first to get the new episodes. And that would mean so much to us because we love talking with you and talking to you. And uh, send us your thoughts too. Just send it to contact at standpartnersforlife.com. Or you could even make it shorter. You do contact at sp4l.com. And that'll come to me and Akiko. And you can let us know your thoughts about what you want to hear next. So we'll see you next episode of Stand Partners for Life.